you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares, I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Board Morgan Bank, Stacey Jacks. I'm Tom Algie. Eliani on the board. SP Futures down 12 and a quarter. NASDAQ Futures down 63. Uh, we have the Dow Futures down 80. Individual stacks in the down. Nothing kind of crazy here. Bowling down, down a buck. Caterpillar down a buck. Uh, we got... Practical Gamble down 223. Microsoft down a buck 40. All these guys have been up all week. We've got a huge rally that everybody, that everybody I think understands. See how long that, which longer that goes. Might be getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, uh, it's been a while. We're, we're a huge off the lows in just about every index. Do we have Kevin with us? You do. How are you, bud? I am doing fine. What's up this morning? Well, it's, uh, the market isn't up yet, but we've been down a little bit in the morning a few these days, and finished, we've finished real strong on the close, so clearly there's a lot of mutual fund buying, because uh, we've just run up every afternoon right in the last five minutes. The uh, uh, the amount of money, surprisingly, being poured into the market is, uh, is you know, I think pretty spectacular, Kevin. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, I really, everybody knows, without going into it for a bazillionth time, I don't know what the Fed's up to. I mean, they're doing exactly the opposite as they say they're doing, and I don't know what the what the story is with that. Um, clearly, they have uh, the three-headed monster. I mean, I, and I don't. I'm not so sure, Kevin. This far in, into the hole, well, in, into the program. Let's put it that way, without disparaging. I'm not so sure you and I would do all that much differently at this point. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> okay, hey, buddy, you got a nine trillion dollar balance sheet. Uh, we've been printing money to, to save, to, to spend the government. We've been printing money to save states, to save some people. Uh, obviously, some people have gotten a real lot of it. But instead of the, you know, as we'll hear Powell drone on and on about inflation and full employment, they, they don't care about that anymore. I mean, it's it's now it's it's in it's the it's like a, the monster has gotten uh, more and more headed. I think one is. You got to keep the stock market up, okay, especially in an election year. Two is you can't allow the interest rates to go higher because the federal government will be go totally broke. Uh, but three, you really love the fact that you can borrow money for somebody for a year. At the end of the year, give them back money that's worth ninety percent of the money you took from them. So, and, and but then you have this other inflation thing that's somewhat of an irritant. So you're lying way around that with the statistics for like a decade and a half. Now it's gotten so abusive, even your statistics people can't hide it. Now, 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 where exactly are you here? I mean, are you going to raise rates a point or, or or three points in two months, like you should, and, and let everybody know you are serious about this? In which case, now your federal government's going to be paying, uh, you know, four four percent on stuff instead of two and a half, or worse, five. Which is another seven hundred billion dollars onto your onto your uh, well, it's 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 a three hundred billion dollars a point, right? With a thirty billion dollar deficit. So now you're talking about another seven hundred billion dollars worth of deficit. You'll get some of that bad in taxation. 
uh, and and now now where are you? I mean, or is it simpler? What's the difference between an eight point nine trillion dollar balance sheet and eight point nine five? Really, right? I mean, at that point, so I mean, I, I'm not so sure who'd want who, who exactly would want to be stuck in the middle of this cauldron. I mean, it's it's of your own making, but still, it's a cauldron. Well, yeah. It, um, well, so so where you are is um, it, it's like when you hit a, a golf shot way off of the. Um, Way off of the uh, fairway, it's under a bunch of trees, and uh, you can you can go ahead and try and uh, hit the shot through the trees to get you uh, back up close to the green so that you can get up and down. But the probability of doing that is very low. What's the right thing to do? Take your medicine and punch out. We're not going to take our medicine. No. That's the last thing we're going to try and do is take our medicine. Well, we're we're in so deep. I, I, I you know as he used to say on the training floor. We're down so low; it's starting to look like up. All right, so so let's say it's not punch out. You have to actually go backwards to take your medicine. Yeah, take your there. You got to take it's a like shot. Getting in one of those, getting in one of those really nasty bunkers at the at the open, uh, the British Open, yeah. and, uh, and and the only way out is not towards the green. So. <laughs> it's sideways at best. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. But what we also but have again, it's, it's medicine that no, uh, nobody seems willing to take. Um, I get why it's gonna, you know, it's gonna make for some really hard times, but that's what happens when you go crazy like that. It, you know, that's you know, decades of irresponsibility um, tends to uh, catch up to you sooner or later. Well, and then you, and the, the, the flip side of that is, what do you do with your money? Okay, I mean, it was interesting as I went through all that stuff from 1971 and 72 and 73 when all this, when all this stuff last time kind of started, and the and the was a whole different reaction from the Fed. Now, they, but they were putting too much money into the system. Okay, which was which always causes inflation. No matter what anybody says, that's what causes it. Uh, they were putting too much money into the system, but they they were they were kind of fighting it right out of the gate with with five percent interest, five and a half, six, six and a half, and raising interest rates. So sometimes a percent in a month, just just to just to fight it. The instinct was not to. Let's pour even so much more money in that we'll keep the rates down and fake it. That 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 is the single biggest difference this time. And I, and honestly, Kevin, I don't know how to read that because it because it, it appears it, you for it, first of all it, it has I'll use the term worked for a way longer period of time than anybody you know thirty forty years ago in a classroom would have said you ever would have got away with it. I mean, it, it literally is. Oh wait a minute! You you can't put out campfires with gasoline. Yes, I can. Watch how much gasoline I'm going to sploosh onto the gas campfire. Yeah, but that won't work forever. No, it won't. But it's worked for a while. And the, the no, nobody would have nobody would have thought in those days that you would run your balance sheet up to you know at the time it would have been three trillion. And no matter what, you wouldn't let somebody like. Somebody like me, some the the market. I mean, I'm, I'm surely not the market. So you wouldn't let the market actually say, "Okay, these rates are going up because you're you're because that's what you're doing." No, we're just, we're just going to keep making believe there isn't any. We're going to keep them down. And oh, by the way, every time somebody wants to sell a bond, we're going to be the buyer to the point where I don't even. I, I mean, I these you've you've got everybody so. I'm always a term mentally buffaloed, but I listen to really intelligent people all day long talk about this yield curve and how it's you know it's a, it's signaling recession because this duck under that. Kevin, 
in the, in the immortal words uh, of Jack Nicholson, they are the shore patrol. <laughs> they, they are the yield curve, the Fed. I mean, how do you get around the fact that those guys are the market? I mean, you can't even, it's like, it's like you know, my brother telling me, which he does all the time, well, look at the, uh, you know, the, uh, what's the, the, not the tips, what do you call the things with the inflation lines, the tiffs? Uh, he goes, well, look at the tiffs, they're finally showing some. Dan, they're buying the tiffs too. What, 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 are, the, what are they really telling us? I mean, when you're talking about $9 trillion, you, 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 you can impact a lot of markets. And I, you know, nowhere in the, in the DNA of these people seem to be we're going to let the markets quote alone. And I, I, don't, I have no idea what the end game of that is. It just seems to me that wherever it is, if all of a sudden, and you've got stocks that are essentially, are, there were people yesterday saying you got to go buy GameStop. Kevin, I was looking, they, they, they have a snowball's chance in hell of making money maybe in 2025. What, what, what do you need to buy that? I mean, we had a big rally in, in Bitcoin. There's no income there. That's a fake stock, basically. And I'm looking at this chart once sent by one of my buddies yesterday, and it's a U.S. household equity holdings as percentage of GDP. Um, and this goes all the way back to 1945. Um, and, and there's a whole number part here, and then there's... there's I'm not sure. I mean, I, I need to dig this up and find out exactly where this came from. But wherever, wherever it is they're counting, we're up to 188%. Equity holdings are 188% of GDP, which must mean that the market is valued more than the GDP by almost double. In 2001, it got to like uh, 110. In 2007, it got to like 105. Now we're 188? Cool. Yeah. Now, is that predictive? No. Does that mean you should buy puts today? No. It just it just gives you an idea that either either Kevin, you rejoice in the fact that our economy is is this resilient that you can mess with it this much, and it's still pretty much pretty much vibrant and pretty much working. Uh, you can either gradually say I got away with it, you can withdraw, or you can push it till you actually do go off the cliff. And I'm worried that they're going to push it until someday, somewhere, it's just not going to work. It's just too much. And I, you know, I don't see any, anybody who's, who's about to change it. Because no, no president, we just came off a guy, uh, who's, who's graded his entire presidency by the stock market. With the Fed pouring money. And now we got a guy that doesn't. Yeah, I don't think that's entirely true, Tom, but, but to a great degree, he talks yeah. about the stock market. Okay, not, market. not, not his entire presidency, but, if it were, I mean, if, if if the guy went to the can and he came out and the market was up, he's taking credit for it. I mean, if, now, but this guy is not saying anything, but he sure as hell doesn't want it going down either, right? I mean, nobody does. So I mean, I don't I don't know how you I don't know how somebody has the stones to say we're not going to do that anymore. But by the way, did you uh, have a chance to listen to uh, Nancy yesterday about all the all the rules and all the stuff that, that come out of Dodd Frank and on these mortgages? I really wonder who are these people making all those rules? I wonder my industry. And I mean, clearly, it's not just here. Well, and it's it's not anybody who really knows, you know, what uh, what the real world is like. No, but the, but the, uh, with this constant driving, we, we signed anti lynching legislation yesterday too. Did you know that? Uh, did, did you, you know, know we do have uh, lynchings all the time around this uh, around this country? Well, there is an interesting little story we don't, to that. By the way, there is an interesting little story to that. Is back when we did. I don't know if this was in the Roosevelt administration or Hoover. One of the it was somebody back there. 
they actually, because there were lynchings of people, uh, a lot of the lynchings came from the, uh, um, and it, w- it wasn't just all black people. A, a lot of the, uh, well, there was a lot of them that were, but when the, uh, a lot of the stuff during the New Deal, there was a program of which they were going to, uh, they gave support money to people who ran, uh, I don't know, what do, you, what do you call the overseer of somebody who has uh, sharecroppers? Is there, is there a name? The overseer of someone who has sharecroppers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a... Well, arguably, not in terms of uh, the fact that you could pick up and leave, I guess. Let's just say sharecropping was uh, a step up from slavery. Uh, in, 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 in any sense of, of any human sense. But in terms of economic sense... I'm not sure it wasn't worse, Kevin. Uh, not, not, I'm not making a statement that one was better. I'm, not, I'm certainly not doing that, but I'm saying the sharecroppers were about in bad shape. I'm not, I bet they were in worse shape than slaves on a really good plantation. But anyway, it was a horrible situation. Sharecroppers, uh, they, were, they were right up there with coal miners in West Virginia, that kind of thing. And uh, so the, uh, there was a bill, I think it was a Roosevelt program, but I'm not positive. Uh, I'm 90% positive. It said they were gonna, they were gonna give agrarian help to some of these people. And the idea was for the, whoever owned the land, the overseer, whatever you want to call them, was supposed to shove some of the money down to the people who actually leased the property, the, the sharecropper. Well, of course, that didn't happen in a lot of cases, correct? And I think a lot of people from the north, not a lot, but some people said, well, this is, this is bull. And they went down and tried to, you know, create a little havoc and say you got to, you got to give these other people the money. They're like, they're like you're supposed to. I think a few of those people found them the end of a end of a rope too. So, and somewhere along, oh, yeah, so did yeah. the civil rights workers, yeah, you know, right. white civil right, uh, rights workers, all kinds of people. And and I am not saying that there is anything wrong with or that you know that we we shouldn't punish people for lynching. I'm just saying they had a big ceremony patting themselves on the back as if they had solved one of the major problems of the day. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I mean, but the, but the it, another it, part of the history you know, it's, was that... It's just a, it's such a non-serious administration sometimes. Well, one of the... If anything, the thing I'm, I'm kind of surprised about, Kevin, is uh, there was a history to that, and actually a federal anti-lynching law is even symbolically is a real big deal because and this I'm surprised that nobody mentioned this. I mean when you when you, there should have been some mention of the history. The history of it was somewhere I believe in the Roosevelt administration because this was going on the federal government attempted Congress attempted to have an anti-lynching law and somewhere maybe Oliani could look this up. Uh and to that time it didn't pass because it was the longest filibuster in Senate history by these southern states. And it's well, it was also, um, yeah, uh, um, Roosevelt um, uh, capitulating in, in exchange for getting his New Deal stuff through. So that that was a trade he made. Well, it also was, it. But, it, but it was being filibustered so far there wasn't getting anywhere anyway. That was in 1918. 1918. Well, yeah, it was, I think it was before Roosevelt, the first one. Yeah. Well, the, when, when Roosevelt was president, he actually, you know, horse Recom- I hate to use the term horse traded because it's such an insult to horses, but, um, but the, uh, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he actually, they, they had something on the table and he backed off so that he could get, uh, southern votes. 
Well, well guess, maybe it's may, hey, maybe it's just Democrats, you know, trying to expunge you know something awful from their past because they were the uh, people in power at the time. I, well, I'm just saying you know. that it, it it is it it should have been considered a much bigger deal given the history. Even though at this point, yeah, you'd hope you don't even need it, right? Because uh, the states would uh, would because I don't think well, well, we also have hate crime laws everywhere, and you know all yeah. kinds of things. So I, I I don't think it's solving anything, but. Um, no, no hey, I, I guess when you need something badly in the wind column, you you go for the easy kill. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I just, but I mean, I, I on the economic on the economic front, I just I, I wish I could figure out where this all ends, Kevin. But I mean, and I and when you start having a Fed talking about becoming much more hawkish and everybody talking about it for three weeks, and all you do is do is see the market, the not just the not the stocks, but the bonds race up and interest rates actually go the other way. Uh, you do wonder. Are, first of all, are you being lied to? And secondly, who knows you're being lied to and how much money are they making? Yeah, well, the answer to the first one is yes. Yeah. Uh, the only the only question is what's the topic? Um, yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, uh, we're being lied to. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I even care anymore. You know, I, I feel bad for the next generation behind me, but... Um, it, it can make for some hard times in my life, but they're so full of crap. And um, uh, and in in the you know the long term damage is going to be so substantial um, that uh, you know I, I don't think there's anything they can say that's going to make me feel any better about it. So go ahead, lie lie your butt off. Go ahead, have fun. Well, the. Uh Yesterday I heard it. Am I cynical now? Have I, have I yeah. become cynical in my old age? You might be coming worse than me. But but the thing of it is 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 the is the people who they don't they don't just lie and go back to the White House. Some, everything that these guys are doing is tradable. Money flowing in, money flowing out, those kinds of things. Fed activity, every one of these Fed speeches, they're they're tradable. And there was a time when these people, I, I never had to worry about Paul Simon, Evelyn Stevenson, Everett Dirksen spending their day figuring out what's going on in Washington and trading the market ahead of it. And yet I'm convinced a significant percentage of these guys, that's all they're doing. And, and you know what? It really sucks, Kevin. It really, it, and then they have the nerve to prosecute other people, which is oh, even, yeah. which is even more out there. But I, I just got a, a, a missive yesterday, and I won't say the name of the firm, but it would be uh, a very, very big firm. And if you went back to the 70s, uh, they had the highest phone bill of anybody in the country. So you, if you know who that is, what I understand, Kevin, they're giving housing collateral loans to people to buy stocks, but only to buy stocks and then only at their firm. There's a way to corral people in the place. So I, we're going to ride the uh, roller coaster of the market by uh, mor- mortgaging homes? Uh, I should have asked, that's not, that's not technically a mortgage, is it? If you collateralize with prop, real property, then yes, it is. Now you have to. What do you have to do? You have to, you have to file a lien, right? Or do you? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but um, if you if you want to claim to the title, then you darn well better have a lien filed. Yep. Well, can't you? If, because uh, because you know, um, especially if you're first in line, you know, you need that. But when when you're uh, when the second in line files a claim against the home, first just has to jump in and do it. Um, because otherwise you give up your position and you may lose uh, lose the property. Uh, you may lose, you know, access to the 
collateral. So um, it's it's a much longer process. If, if I remember this correctly, it's a much longer process to foreclose with your first mortgage, but the second one, you can make that happen pretty quickly, um, and that forces the first to jump in and, and do the same. Well, I don't know if our clearing, either one of our clearing firms would ever do something like this. We clear through IB and RBC, but I, I, I don't know the legality of this, Kevin. That's why I'm asking, because I know you worked uh, for years and years in a bank. If well, I know, you know, we got to get we got a listener, um, a, a local listener here, Joe, who could probably uh, who could probably answer that for me because he worked in that business for a long time. Well, if um, if I know that your your hacienda on your lake uh, is worth a million bucks and your mortgage is a hundred, and uh, you don't have a whole lot of cash, say you got two hundred grand cash, but you really want to get in the market, could I give you a personal loan backed on just your assets? For three hundred grand, and say it's only to be used in at at, P, at PTI to buy stocks. I mean, I, we could, we would never do something like that. Why couldn't I do that? There's no and, and, and the, the, there's there's special law built around property around people's property because uh, because we have a uh, a long standing policy interest in this company to protect homeowners uh, to the last. And, you know, you may you may you may wind up foreclosing as as we saw in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Um, you know, and you may wind up doing a lot of it, but the the general feeling for society is that we want to give uh, um, mortgage borrowers, you know, homeowners who uh, have mortgages on their homes, every opportunity to clear it up because we don't want to be casting a lot of people into the streets. But why wouldn't I? If, I'm just asking. I'm just, I'm just asking here. Uh, if I made that a personal loan, again, I have no interest in doing this. If I made that a personal loan. The fallback position, especially if I knew that you had, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars worth of equity in your place, and even though maybe inflated, you know, four of it's good. But the fallback position is if you call me up someday and say, "Well, gee, you know, I lost some money on this stock and whatever," I'll say, "Kevin, now's the time to actually go get a second mortgage and pay me if you don't want to do this anymore." Right, and your option, and if I say no, your option is to sue me and. My option is to either then find a way to pay you, which could be a second mortgage, or to file bankruptcy, which which it, I, which I can do and still protect the home. Okay, but cars and all the rest of the stuff—it's a problem. You don't find yeah, everything else uh, you know that, that would get um, dispersed in the, in the uh, proceeding would uh, would be fair game. Not to mention your collection of Notre Dame mugs. Um, the only Notre Dame mugs I know are, are you and some of our other friends. T-shirts. Now Dave Murphy could he could. Um, what's his T-shirt collection worth? Oh, good lord! Yeah, it's a. <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean, it's, it is it is stunning, Kevin. How when you look back at the 2007 and 2008 fiasco, how people were able to get money into those mortgages is is a fascination that I still have. It's it's not just. Ah, we gave a bunch of mortgages to people who didn't deserve them. That 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 is that is absolutely the the, the piece of the iceberg that, tr- that struck the Titanic, forgetting the rest of the iceberg. I mean, but over time, that's become the story. We gave a bunch of mortgages to people who didn't deserve them. Right? SP Futures down eleven. SP Futures down fifty four. Be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, no, thanks, Jacks. I'm Tom She's Eliani on the board. SP futures down 10. As if you're just on 47, we're an easy striking existence of, uh, of up, down 10. We can go up 10 in a nanosecond. We have been up and down 10 in a nanosecond really hundreds and hundreds of times over the last few months. Uh, Dow futures down 83, uh, over in the European, European Union. We've got the DAX, which was up a bunch yesterday, down 213. That's 1.4%. It's a big swing yes, up yesterday and been down today. Yeah, they're starting to look like Hong Kong over in Germany. But they're, they're flinging back and forth over this Ukrainian situation way more than the, French or the British because they're more they're more in, in Dutch with the uh, Russians over this gas and stuff. A FTSE down two, call that flat. Check around down fifty eight. That's point eight percent. We're in Asia. We've got a uh, mixed bag here. It was a mixed bag yesterday. Nikkei down two twenty five point eight percent. Shanghai up sixty. That's almost two percent. Hang Seng up three hundred four one point four. The uh, uh, the only thing down over there is Evergrande's electric car unit went down more than ten percent, but. Uh, China was up, um, interestingly enough. Yesterday, Dow was up 338, S&P up 56, NASDAQ up 264, it was another 1.8%. We're doing 1.5%, 2% a day in the NASDAQ. It's uh, really, really uh, remarkable. Tenure, uh, up a basis point, but 2.41. Yesterday we were 2.5 during the morning. Uh, Bun, uh, up 5 basis points, but 0.69. Make that 0. 0.70, actually. Uh, Japan, unchanged, well, it's down a basis point to 0.23. Uh, oil, which had a very volatile day yesterday, is back up 277 to 107.01. As you remember, it ducked under 100 yesterday during the show, uh, when of course everybody's going to be P 
peace was going to be just declared over there, and I don't think peace came out of the meeting. Uh, Brent on 262, I'm sorry, up 262 to 112.85. Natural gas up 3 cents, 536. Our Bob up 5 cents at 326. It was down a dime yesterday or more. Uh, gold back up $11 at 1929. It was down yesterday. Silver, in fact, the uh, gold was, was really down yesterday morning. It actually closed uh, close to unchanged yesterday. Silver back up 30 cents. Volatile again between this 23 and a half and 25 and a half number. Copper up three cents, four seventy-seven, and we've got Bitcoin uh, down two ninety-five, but forty-seven thousand four fifty-seven, still way high there. Eliani, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports, windy, rainy. Hey, yes, all the usual things, but it allows me to wear all my sweaters. Yes. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Currently six thirty-five a.m. on March thirtieth. Let's start with sports. And the NBA, Bulls beat the Wizards last night, 107-94. Look forward to the Suns playing the Warriors tonight at 9 o'clock. And the NHL, uh, keep an eye out for the Coyotes playing Sharks tonight at 9 o'clock. In Chicago, yes, it is a gloomy, cloudy, rainy day. But thankfully, it's not freezing cold, which is good. Currently sitting at 49 degrees with a high of 60 and a low of 38. Intermittent showers throughout the day. It will be thunderstorming in the afternoon, though. And in Phoenix, currently partly cloudy, 79, sorry, 56 with a high of 79, a low of 56. As far as traffic this morning, not too shabby. We have some light traffic eastbound on 290 between Highway 45 and Harlem. Tiny bit of traffic eastbound on I-90 between Cumberland and Lawrence. Bit of traffic on uh, eastbound on 94 between West Division and South Union. Some light intermittent traffic westbound on 94 between 115th and 83rd and between 35th and West Augusta. Um, a bit of heavier traffic northbound on 55 between Harlem and Cicero, and some light traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 18th and East Randolph. And that's all I have for you, Chief. The um, Kevin, what do you? Uh, why don't we shift gears here a little bit? Well, let, let me let me finish right. off a thought though before you do that, and that is, I, I don't think the issue was ever that um, that people got mortgages they didn't deserve. It's it's that people got mortgages that they couldn't afford when they repriced. So. Um, it was it was official policy of the Clinton administration and then the Bush administration that we wanted to do whatever we could to spur home ownership, and that you know and, and uh, that, that resulted in a lot of unhealthy practices, and it resulted in you know the the easy money that was available, um, you know, made every everybody in the world a mortgage lender, and uh, and and there were all kinds of great deals out there. We'll get you into a house. No down payment, low interest rate. You know, we can do all of this stuff for you. But when it, when it, uh, you know, the balloons came due, um, that was when people couldn't afford it. Now they still would have been able to afford it, except that we had a catalyst um, that happened in early 2008, and that was that fuel prices ran up like crazy and spurred a whole lot of layoffs in various industries because um, you know the the business slowdown, the, the raised expenses, uh, everything that went with the, the huge, it was a big spike all at once. So when that happened, and now you had people who were getting behind on their mortgages before they repriced, and um, and, and that problem just, it, it, it just started to cascade through everything. And so, I, you know, it's it, everybody was predicting that the housing buzzle, bubble would burst, but it wasn't going to burst that quickly all at once, um, and uh, and it did uh, because of other economic conditions that I think just fried the whole system. Um, That's my take on it. How can I even say once in a while that you're you're, you're right? But 
Yeah, you're right. But the but just uh, leave it there, Tom, and, and let me savor it for a moment. No, it brings me up a brings me up with a reminds me of a discussion. I won't say argument. Discussion I had with my significant other uh, about that time regarding home prices, and I, I think somewhere buried in my I'll use the term files. I still have this piece of paper or several piece of paper staples to get stapled together where somebody went through the entire uh as the home prices went from the, the median price went from uh 165 to I think it topped out at what 245 back then 250 something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh and the, the person this person did a study and must have been they must have been in the mortgage industry or I guess you and I could have done it but they were better at it. Um, what you needed, if, if somebody gave you the 20% down, now we're talking about houses that weren't, people weren't doing 20% down, but if you did, let's, let's say the house is 250, so somebody, somebody greases you the 50, your parents or whatever, and of course now we're gonna accuse them of being money launderers and everything else, but belay that, we'll leave that argument for another time. Uh, well, even so, back then you had to have a gift letter. Right, I mean, you, you had to, you had to have some, some sort of an idea, but the, uh, say, say you got the 50. If you actually earned it. Um, and you're, you put that down. You needed, with insurance, and the mortgage rates were, I'm gonna say six, somewhere in there. Uh, you needed 85,000 bucks income to carry the place. That was, that was the formula. Alright, so, that, you know, that's, I'm gonna say, you, you can't argue with me so far. But then the gentleman or lady who wrote this article, I forget who it was, uh, went through the whole list of people in the jobs at the time and who the hell made 85 grand. Now we're not talking about two income, you know, two incomes. We're talking one. Um, because if you have a second income, whoever it is, you gotta subtract from that pretty dramatically by the child care and all those other kinds of things. So I'm not gonna get into the sociology of it. But the bottom line is, if you bought a house yourself, you needed 85 grand to carry the place. And, they went through a list of, okay, if you worked in the food service industry, you made eighteen. Uh, okay, so you're not you're not quite there. If you were in the whatever the, the what do you call people that kind of just sit in cubicles and do stuff? I mean, I hate to even say clerical. A clerical person downtown. Maybe you worked for Sears in the catalog division. You did something. Your the average salary there was around forty five. 45 to 48, somewhere in there. All right, so you're out. And they said, okay, anybody who really works in a hospital, even a, a fairly senior administrator in a hospital, we're not talking about a doctor or the president of the place, was in the 65 to 70 to 75 range, even if you're somebody who, like, did tests for people or, you know, uh, you know, drew blood or, or, or did blood tests. Lab tech or something Lab like tech. that, yeah. You're, and somebody would have, would have, you know, an advanced degree and everything else, not that the rest of the people aren't. Uh, you're talking... So the bottom line was 85% of the population couldn't afford the median house. So that that piece of paper, Kevin, is is the issue just waiting for the catalyst you're talking about. Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and so you you had and and we deflated the uh um you know the mortgages by having lower rates in exchange for shorter terms. The problem is when the term came due, you had to refinance. And now 
when the term came due, you weren't doing so well because you were laid off. Right. Well, well plus, and, the, and, and and so your your next best play was to just abandon the property, to say the hell with it. Well, your your, your buddy, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he was much of a buddy, but he was a uh, acquaintance friend of ours at uh, at Notre Dame. Steve Kenny was in uh, aerospace engineering, and those those guys I mean, talk about having people studying and beating them from morning to night. Um, I asked him one day, and he was a pilot too, a private pilot. I said, "Steve, is the uh, is the uh, is, a, is a twin engine plane safer than a single engine plane?" He said, "Funny, you should mention it." I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "We're just we're just going over some specs and some twin engine planes." He goes, "A lot of twin engine planes made. And this is the early seventies. A lot of twin engine planes are made so that they said you you're assuming." You know, like 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 as a Sky King uh, TV show, like way back in the fifties. So you're assuming that if one engine goes out, the other engine you can fly. You might not be able to take off, but you can fly and land easily on just one engine. He says, "Don't assume that," because a lot of the planes being made today, if either engine goes out, you've got trouble. Now you're going to have some power, but it's it's not flyable on one engine. He says, "So in fact, they're twice as risky." Because you got twice as much chance of either one of them going out. So, when, so what I'm getting to is if you and you and the wifey both have a job, neither one of it. And our buddy uh, Doc, not Doctor J, the other Doc, did a lot of mortgage closing. He goes, "I've never seen this risky as risky as this." And I go, "What are you talking about?" He says, "All these people are buying these homes at prices where if either one of them loses their job, they can't carry the place." He goes, "They think they have less risk. They have more." Right? Yeah, because the probability of some of someone in that household losing the job is much higher. Yeah. So we're if, now, it's, well, if it's if it's ten percent, it's ten percent uh, plus ten percent. Um, so here we are now today. Uh, we're down at, in two thousand. This is this is the number I started with. Okay. Uh, the median price of a new home in two thousand. I said one sixty five. It's one sixty two nine fifty eight. All right. So I was pretty close. Uh, and I, what I'm saying is in 2008, that number had ballooned to, what, 235, 240? And the median income had not risen to with it. Well, now here we are today, now that we know all about the fiasco in 2008, and we know about the pain, we know how many people lost their house, we know all this crap, we know, right? Today, uh, the median price of a new home in 2000 was 163, say. Today, it's 402,000. As of this month or this week, now the median income in two thousand was thirty one seven. I got to believe that the median—it's an individual—that the household income was probably fifty. Today, the median income of an individual is around thirty six. I'm going to say that's a little light. So, say thirty eight. I'm going to—I'm going to guess that the median income of a family now is probably sixty. All right. So we went from fifty five. Even if we say sixty five or seventy, Kevin, we're talking about was fifty five. Being generous in 2000, now it's 70. Okay, and the house went from 163 to 402. We are light years worse now than we were in 2008, especially with these mortgage rates running up. We're not, we're not even on the same planet in terms of risk. Yep. So the the only question is when? timeline. When? <laughs> the only question is when. Yep. Uh, but I don't want to go through it again. Do you? No. That's why I said, you know, 
is is it as big a concern for me in my old age? Uh, probably not. I, I feel bad for the kids, uh, for young people today. Um, you know, keep voting for these schmucks that are in office. Um, I don't care which party you choose, um, because they're doing it to you. But but the the government is not causing people to buy AMC up seven or eight dollars in the last three days when when they've had a negative P ratio for ten years and don't appear to have any ability to make money going forward. They're they're not. They're not. They're, I mean, Joe Biden isn't calling somebody up to, and the, to, to telling him to not call Robin Hood or use his call. Use his phone. Uh, Joe buy. would just have to walk it back tomorrow anyway. So. Okay. Yeah, well, but I'm saying he's he's not. Trump didn't tell people to do it. I mean, you can't you can't blame this on. People see something going up, and they're all over it. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, there's a big fear of missing out factor on any um, any trend like this, and that's you know that's fine. I, I get that too, but uh, but the you know like I, I in, in my curriculum I talk about risk assessment like crazy, um, and I you know I, I talk about this. I mean I give students exercises of doing risk assessments in their personal lives as well as in in real life or in in you know in, in business life um, because it's something that we really really suck at. You know the IT people are, are, have been doing. Um, uh, risk assessments and disaster plans for you know longer than I've been in the business, and, and I start started in the seventies. But uh, you know, I, I deal with supply chain people. It, it, it's, it's a foreign concept to most people. Uh, how do you go about doing it? How do you give it some structure? What do you do about it? All, all of those kinds of things. What is what does it mean? Is when you ask, is something likely to happen? It's not. Is it likely to happen in the next six months? Is is it likely to happen? So, for example, if you are uh, if you ship chemicals by rail, is it likely that you're going to have a derailment and a, and a chemical cleanup? Um, unlikely this year, but you know what? Sometime over the next ten, it's probably going to happen to you. That's you know these are the kinds of things that you have to learn to ask, and we don't do that in our personal lives either. Um, and and if we did, then that exercise you just went through about you know you need both incomes to. Uh, um, uh, to support the home, uh, to support the uh, mortgage payments on the home, uh, you know, people would look at that a little bit differently if they knew how to just sit down and say, "What are the risks here, and how will I address them?" Because maybe you're willing to accept the risk because you know you can get out of the house real quickly. Well, that that's really cool if you're first out in a when a housing bubble bursts. But if you're not the first ones trying to get out of it, well, as you start to see it happening, you're stuck. Well, and I, I just, it, uh, I've talked to, uh, you know, some people that are buying homes and, uh, some people that are, well, in the industry. And obviously, you know, Nancy is, is unusual. Well, I'm saying unusual. She's incredibly bright and can talk on any subject. So she just happens to be in the mortgage business. I mean, you could put her in any business tomorrow and she's just, you know, very hard worker and a very bright person. Uh, but the, uh, the, there's something I used to do, uh, that was my job. Because I was one of the analysts they hired at, at Pullman from the University of Chicago, right? So I was supposed to know how to do all this crap. Um, the interesting, I used to do the, they, they used to call it sensitivity analysis. I don't know what, what they call it now, Kevin, but, uh, but it's, it's the same. Uh, but similar type of exercise, yeah. And, uh, and whenever we had a big project, uh, I would have to do, you know, okay, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if the, you know, we got a new railroad. Yeah, car. what if my estimate, my growth estimate yeah. is uh, half of what I project? Or the prices went up, or this or that. 
or or yeah. the guy or the guy you know at the you like it much better nowadays with the electronic tools that you can use rather than having to do it manual well i, I had to do it all manual and and uh you know my 14 column sheets and my handwriting was horrible uh but you know what I, what I found kevin on virtually every single project you know you only really i know this by going through it I mean, your your first thought would be uh what if there was a strike or what if Something sort of cataclysmic. Now, obviously, if an asteroid hit the plant, you know you got a problem. But, but by and large, you could take just about any any hit. You know, if you if you especially if you put you know ten uh, percent in the contract for for bad stuff happening, you couldn't think there was some sort of an edge in there. So what what guys do in those in those days, you wouldn't put twenty percent profit in there. You'd say you know ten percent uh, uh, over overruns and contingency. Yeah, and then then you'd say ten percent profit type of thing. So, but I would go through it in virtually every single case, Kevin, from new buildings to new new railroad car contracts, whatever it was, you could almost take any big shack or two and you could recover from it. But if you gave yourself five little ones, you were screwed. I mean, if you were to say prices went up, not 20%, which you, you maybe could absorb because the price, stuff you buy is 40% of the car, so, so that would you're, you're so you're if they went up twenty percent, that meant the price went up ten percent, and you've got a ten percent contingency. You still made your ten percent, okay? Now, but if you said prices went up four percent, and oh by the way, you had a a two week strike instead of a six month strike, and and all of a sudden you're you're uh, the guy delivering the trucks, you know, the things on the bottom of the car, he was four weeks late instead of six months. But then your air conditioner guy right afterward was he was three weeks late. If you if you picked five or six little like stub toes and not knives in the back, it was it was worse than the knife in the back. Yeah, because there's so many moving parts. Because all of a sudden this is a problem, so you can't do that. And okay, then you you work around to this extent. Well, then you got a problem over here. Now you got an imbalance over here. And it it it, it is amazing that all if, if you if you took. God help you if you ever got to ten things like a building or something where the, the permit was two months late or something like that, and you had people working, and all of a sudden something happened, or you, or I did one for this Sibo was going to buy this thing in, in California. What what if you dug down and you found an Indian burial ground, which actually happens in San Francisco all the time, and you had a, and if you got caught six months on that when you had people already working, you already ordered beams and concrete and everything. I mean, all it takes little bits of things. What I'm getting to here is. When people buy a home, especially right now, it's not about you. It's about when you when you get married, have a kid, move out of the apartment downtown, go buy the house. Okay, this is what everybody does, even today. So you get there. Now you're making an assumption that you're not going to get divorced. Okay, well, I hope you don't. I mean, I hope nobody does. But the fact is, how many people get divorced in the first ten years? People of do. Yeah. Well, it's but it's a huge number, isn't it? Like. Forty percent or yeah. toast within ten years. Yeah, it's it's a huge number. And uh, so okay, oh, there is a problem. How many people get transferred? Because I mean, your your thought is, wifey and I are going to live here for the next thirty years or forty, and we're going to die here together, or unless we want a bigger house, in which case it'll be fifteen years from now we'll have more money and we won't care because we're just trading houses. All right, that's fine. Now, what if? But now, in the next five years, when you now all of a sudden have to leave. Maybe divorce, maybe transfer, maybe something good, a great new job in California. Uh, now all of a sudden I gotta sell this to somebody. But now to somebody who's gonna pay 7% interest instead of, instead of 3, who the hell is, am I gonna sell it to? 
And oh, by the way, the taxes are now double in the state of Illinois and a bunch of other places because the federal government stopped giving them dough. Who, who, who is the fool that's going to buy this place? But so these, I mean, all, these are all the little things that you don't think about, and yet these are the scenarios. And the the, the other problem is when you haven't thought about it, um, and then it happens. Uh, you might make some really good decisions along the way, but you're making it up in real time. You have a much bigger chance of getting it wrong when you haven't thought about it in advance. Uh, yeah. So, so that you know that that's part two of the problem. Is okay. Uh, what do I do now? Well, you know, I can draw on on some experience. I can get some advice. I can do lots of things. But in the end, it's something needs to be done like right now, and I haven't thought the first thing about it, and that's a problem. Well, and, and sort, of, sort of like when you raise your teenage kids, you want to get them to think about everything that they could encounter as much as you can. So, because with your teenagers, if they've thought about it in advance, you at least have a fighting chance to get it right. If they haven't thought about it in advance, and someone breaks out the the drugs or something at a party, you know, whatever it is, you got no chance that they're going to get it right. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, but and even even it's the same thing is, is happening with with trading now, Kevin. I I uh, I was spoiled for. A real long time when we when I came off the trading floor and uh, you know uh, PTI security started we had uh, two things that we had going for us that most people didn't know. One of them, one of the things we didn't have going for us is we were a small firm and we weren't a national term or a word or anything like that. So we had it was difficult for us to get clients. But basically, we got two kinds of clients. We either got people who really wanted to trade uh, back in, before we had electronic trade or anything. We wanted to trade people who had a, a really easy access to the trading floor, like the OEX pit or something like that, where most of the trading really went on. Uh, and our guys, we had three, four people that had been on the floor, so I had no problem with them actually calling right into the pit because we were members. We could do that where nobody else could. I mean, if you were gave your order to Merrill Lynch, you went into some teletype system, and God knows by the time it got there, and you got your fill back. We would we could we could get around all that. So that was a big advantage we had, which now nobody cares about because we can do, you know, everything's electronic. And uh, and the other thing is, if somebody really had a question, everybody they talked to had been a floor trader for twenty years and they knew a lot about options. Okay, so it wasn't like options. What are those things? You know, type of thing. So that that was sort of that was our advantage. But that even that you know didn't last all that long. But the bottom line is, all the customers that we would have, we'd have seminars. And we met all these people, and we would, we would say, okay, when we started managing money, we'd say, here's our protected device program. We had a really nice <clears throat> PowerPoint presentation, and people come in here, and we'd have 30, 40, 50 people on a Saturday. And uh, and they would sit down, and they knew right, right what we were doing for them, and there was an explanation for it. Well, now I work for I mean, a couple other places. Uh, we do I do the protected program for other people, like on a subcontract basis. And I get to talk to these guys. Kevin, it's it's like night and day. I mean, it's it's amazing. Well, what do you mean? The stack's like going up. Well, the stack has gone from fifty to one hundred. Do you want to lighten up? No, it just means it's going higher. I mean, it, it's not even. I mean, if you were to ask anybody who buys, and again, I'm looking at AMC on my screen. I just put it up here. If you were to ask anybody the mistake in AMC, it's not in buying the thing at thirty bucks when they make no money. And I'm not saying that's a mistake. I think it'd be sick. The mistake was not buying it the other day at twenty five. So you, you're, it, it's become a, a more of a, it really is much more of a casino than I've ever, people see it, somebody talks about it, it starts to get some activity, and guys like Dr. J and people like that notice the activity, and all of a sudden all kinds of people, because it is trading, 
They want to trade it too. They don't even know what other people are looking at. They want it to go up. And now the people in the world of the other side of the trade are member firms. There's four or five of them. And they all of a sudden see all this order flow. And they back off. And all of a sudden the thing's up 20% in one day. And you sit there and go, why, why the hell is AMC up 20%? It's, it's, it's a function of the, of the system of somebody started it. It caught fire. It's a momentum, tra- it's a momentum trading situation in combination of the person on the other side getting to see all the order flow and backing off because I'm not getting away of this train wreck. And all of a sudden a stock that may be worth five hours to start with is up five hours on the day. I mean, and I'm not, again, I'm not disparaging the individual names or anything like that because I don't know that AMC all of a sudden is going to turn a huge profit this year. They might. Uh, but it's, it's really an amazing thing, Kevin, because this is what the market's been like now for ten years, or five, certainly the last five, and it it really has not a whole lot to do with investing for a lot of people. Now, other people, the people that I deal with, it is investing. Okay, how we just how we protect ourselves, and and by the way, when it goes up, we should be a little less long than when it goes down. I mean, it it, it is kind of strange that I, I see this as being a bad way to spend your day. And these are all retired people, Kevin, and they're and they're just crazed about these stacks, and the stacks are. They're, they're, they worship these companies. I mean, I, I don't. I look at it. It's an investment. I'm either in or I'm out. I mean, I don't. I never. I never got to love a, a particular strike in the OEX. Oh no, I can't sell my 480s. Why not? What's the difference? I mean, it, it's strange. I'm just. I'm sorry to go off on a, on a tangent there, but it kind of ties in with what you were saying. Yep. So we came back from the break, and I said, um, "Okay, just one more thing, real quickly, before we." Uh, before we move on to the next subject, and here we are. It's time to wrap up. Well, here I'm we never got to it. Well, Which is sort of how we do stocks and jocks anyway. Well, you know, I thought the difference there, the fallback position, is I got you on Friday, and I want to go through the new uh, the new budget and uh, and you know the stuff that's sort of in there and that and. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, well, that, that takes a little while. I think I'm cynical today. Oh yeah, SP futures <laughs> down 11, NASDAQ futures down 57. Be right back, Miss Russell Rhodes. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, 
Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tamao. Eliani on the board. SP Futures down on 1250. As if we just down 62, but this is, uh, kind of a pittance of what we were up yesterday. It's maybe like 15% of what we were up yesterday, so I don't exactly call it much of a sell-off here. Uh, plus we, as the day goes on, we seem to be getting stronger, so I wouldn't worry too much about this if I was long. Uh, do we have Mr. Russell? Yes. Professor Russell? Happy, How are you? Happy Wednesday. Professor so, Dr. Before Russell? Before we talk about whatever you want to talk about, I want to tell you that, that you have a favorite student. Here at IU. Really? We've got a stock trading contest going on, and she went from third place to last in a week because she went all in short GameStop. She's your favorite student. She went all in short GameStop. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So she makes no sense. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like looking at the week over week tote board yesterday. And I go, what, what happened? She goes, well, I just I, I swung for the fences and I went all in. And of course, you know it's a paper trading contest, so she can, um, you know, it's not you know it's part fun and you don't have to really treat it like it's real money. But yeah, all in short GameStop. Well, you know what? Showing up, <laughs> they held it for six days. Showing up being right. So I'll let you know when she covers. She'll end up being right, but will she still be in the game is the question. I know she'll be. Well, I've talked about. I was. I, I was at. You know, I've never really talked about. I was at a hedge fund. And we basically blew up short housing because we were just we were just over a year early. So it had, I always teach it's not just uh, being right; it's the timing too. Uh, timing is everything. Um, timing you know, is the hard part. If you just would have, <laughs> if you just put an hour late to the bar the day you met your wife, guess what? You might not have married. Yeah, you know it's that's, a, true. Uh, that's true. Uh, yeah. the, uh, that's true. The positive or negative, but that's true. Well, I'm just yeah, you know, it's just. It would have been different. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, probably would have been worse. Obviously, you guys have, are hanging in there pretty good. Uh, and by the way, I've talked to her. Yeah. She seems very nice. Uh, and you've got yeah. a great family. And, and even the dog likes you. So, you know, what the hell? It's not, it hasn't been so bad, you know. Just saying. One of the dogs likes me. So. Well, the other one, what, snaps Same at you or what? Well, the other one's kind of blind and deaf. And every time I, I go down to pet her, I, I feel like I'm introducing myself to her again. Uh, doesn't well, hate me, just doesn't really know much of anything. Okay, well, that's, uh, <laughs> she, she, she should be able to smell the pipe smoke in the, in the cardigan. Uh, I, I think the bright colors of the cardigan is what gets her attention sometimes. God. Um, so. the, uh, we, when you mentioned that, there was a, a dude, when, when Dr. J and I first did the, uh, actually the, the show that became Fast Money, because Dylan Radigan came out and watched this one yeah. day and he took the idea to CNBC. There was a guy on the thing, uh, uh, 
Armenian dude, big, tall, good-looking guy, and he was most gorgeous wife you ever saw. He was six foot blonde. Well, he he ended up uh, his family money. Um, he was his dad was in construction, and the, and the guy was really good at it. He built a four-story condominium in Chicago here, and he you know he sold the other three places for more than it cost him to build it. So he essentially got a free duplex condo out of the deal. Uh, mm-hmm. We ended up doing his money and then his his family money, and he had he had an absolute uh, burr up his behind about uh, I think it was uh, what's what's the, the big medical company it begins with a T. Uh, that that try you know what I'm talking about? Um, tenant, tenant, tenant healthcare. He he, he okay. was convinced that these guys had something seriously wrong with the place, and uh, and he starts shorting it. You know, 40, then it's 42, then it's 45, then he shorts it some more. Well, to say that he had all his dough and the family dough in this thing, uh, was, was an understatement. And we kind of stopped doing the show and the stock went to like 70 or 75. And I think, I'm not sure, I hope I'm wrong, I think he got carried out feet first, basically. And, uh, and I'm gonna say two years later, whatever he thought was wrong with the company became everyday news, and I think the stock went down to like six or something. Seven, ten, somewhere in there, but it was, it was the exact reason that he he had come up with. I don't know if the if, I don't think it was you know somebody stealing dollar. It had to do with how they were counting this and that as income, and it really wasn't I, something he dug out. But he was absolutely convinced that once he figured it out on a Tuesday, the rest of the world will figure it out like by Friday, and that, that's just not the way it works. Even if you are, I mean, even if you are right, it, it could be years before you know. Before, before you ever make a dime, being being I uh, use the term right, you know, not not right or left, but just right. Uh, it's it it's really kind of a tough game. I mean, I mean, I I, I don't see a whole lot of value. I was just talking about AMC earlier. It's one of the meme stocks, and I mean GameStop. I don't I don't see GameStop ever making any money to you. I mean, I mean, uh, not unless maybe maybe they go out and they buy some gold miners or something else. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, you can always say they're going to totally change industries. Yeah, or, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly what I was saying. But you can't, was. you can't assume. I mean, you'll, you'll hear people on TV with some, you know, this, the guy's running a buggy whip manufacturer. And he, well, gee, maybe maybe they'll go out and buy Tesla. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe I will too, right? I mean, or you will too. I mean, it's that when you start opining that a place has to totally go out and buy some other place you like better just so to make your that could happen, Russell. But I could also be a jockey in the seventh race today, right? Yeah, and I would so be bet, betting against you. Oh, absolutely. The horse would be turning around saying, yeah. what the hell is that? Yeah. Even if it were a one-horse race, I think I would bet against your finishing. Uh, I'd, I'd be down somewhere along the way. <laughs> the only thing I'd have going oh. for me is those tracks are pretty soft. Yeah. But then again, those thoroughbreds are pretty tall. Right in the park for you. Yeah, those thoroughbreds are pretty tall. You think either one of us could even sit on one of those saddles with the little tiny stirrups and the, oh, I don't, there's no way. No, 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 no. There are people who think that uh, the Jackies are the greatest athletes in the world, and I'm not so sure they're wrong. No, yeah, I, I, I used to go out to Arlington. You'd see those guys between races sitting out behind the paddock, smoking cigarettes, bullshitting, yeah. like BSing. Yeah. Um, I don't think. I think they're they're. You know, I think professional wrestlers are probably more athletic than jockeys. Man, am I going to make somebody mad with that one? Oh god. Um, yeah. 
So there, I put my foot in my mouth. Uh, well, that's all right. So, so how how is the there's uh, a skill to it? There's a skill to it, though. Okay, it's just, well, it's just different type of. Uh, they're just it's just like different degrees of athleticism. It's kind of hard to compare, you know, because if you're com- yeah. to compare like a they say like a a horse jockey to like a gymnast, you can't. Right. You know, but they're both no, but they're both incredibly like meticulous athletes. You know, yeah. it's just different. Yeah. I would right? say the, I would say the hardest thing. I would ever think of trying to do. Well, there's no way I would be a, a gymnast. I mean, that 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 just wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's uh, like it's like defying being human. It's incredible. Yeah, but uh, I would say, in terms of conditioning and everything, um, I wouldn't want to touch a boxer. Oh hell no! Yeah, no, or yeah. a hockey player, or yeah, or hockey, because they're all you're all you're all you're all talking about elite athletes. I mean, you're talking about the high end of the of the of the gene. You get those kind of uh, this core of digest. I always. All these questions, and they say, "Would you know? Would would tell Ted Williams be able to hit the ball today?" And they go, "The the guy was he was the cream of the gene pool. How many people today have twenty ten eyesight? I mean, one in yeah. twenty thousand, just like back then. I mean, yeah, it's, he's a ninja. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so Russell, what um, stuff I was talking about with Kevin and the, the prices of these the houses versus uh, you know increase in housing prices versus increase in salaries." Salaries are starting to go up some. I mean, at least at the lower end. Um, and we, uh, what's your comment on that? I also want to know uh, what 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 do you make of this? The last two or three days, you can't turn the TV or radio on without somebody going off and you know, I'll say diarrhea of the mouth on on these yield curves. I, I see one one blip down. I don't I mean. I, what are we talking about? We go from two fifty. Yeah, you know. I, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well. Which one do you want me to start on? <laughs> start, start, start on the yield curves, because I kind of covered some of the other stuff. I'd like your opinion on well, it. Well, I mean, the yield curve thing, it, it's, you know, as far as when it gets inverted, or and you can, I, I'm, I'm teaching this this week to undergrads. It's just kind of, it's kind of funny, the timing on it. And, you know, the and I, I, I note how the business press gets all excited when they find uh, something that looks like an inversion. You know, officially, the leading economic indicators is looking at the Fed funds rate versus the tenure rate. Um, but, you know, you, you have lots of folks that want to compare. They want to find something that looks like it's interesting to talk about in the press that doesn't necessarily mean something's going to happen. Because um, every, every recession was preceded by some sort of yield curve inversion, but every yield curve inversion was not followed by a recession. But whenever you know, whenever we were between earnings, they don't have a lot to talk about. And um, you know, if this was earnings season, it would be getting nearly as much play as it's getting right now. So I don't know. You know, it's just one of many things that, as you put it, they kind of have diarrhea of the mouth about, so they have something to talk about. But it does it really mean anything right now? No, I don't really think it means much right now. I don't think it doesn't give me more or less conviction that uh, we're probably going to see a slowing economy in the next few quarters. But yeah, it's just one little data point that. But I think it's such a simple data point that the folks on TV like to get all excited about it. Well, how much? Uh, how does how does the mechanism yeah. work, Russell? And if I'm a little, I'm not saying above your pay grade, but because uh, you're you're the professor, there's no such Shots thing. Fired. Yeah, but the. Uh, uh, <laughs> But, it, but everybody has their, their quote specialties. When when the you look at the size of the balance sheet, the Fed's got. And by the way, it's growing, even though mm-hmm. they claim it's not going to. Which is, I, I think, the reason why the market and the bonds are up the last two weeks. But that would just be me. 
when when they, when they, when you go out for these auctions, and you know the guy uh, Rick Santelli actually does a really nice job. He's a good guy. Used to hang out over at the series. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while because I don't think he does the stuff in the board of trade anymore. But maybe he does. Uh, anywho, the when when when, the, when there's a ten year auction, does the the Fed doesn't participate directly in the auction, right? They have to go buy it afterward. Can they can they actually buy from the auction? Are they are they that barefaced about what they're they're buying and stuff right away? Or are they or they go get it afterward from the open market? I think they go get it afterward from the open market. Um. And, but I don't know if there was an issue during the auction if um, if the if that desk maybe maybe they reach out to that desk to make the make it look a little bit better. Okay, so that's where I'm going to here. If you look at the but inversion, yeah, I, mean, I, I I really I don't know if there are any rules in place either way. You know, um, the, the or where I guess the really the rule would be that they can't participate in the auction. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. They can do just about anything else they want to do in this day and age. And, and I'm sure if an auction looked like it wasn't shaping up very well, uh, you know, part of what they're trying to do is support everything. So why wouldn't they be reached out to and and uh, and said, hey, well, the, the, this one's not shaping up particularly well. Can you guys help us out here? So well, the only... I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they can. Well, I'm looking at the, the yield curve here. And, and to me, I don't, I don't, first of all, I see a lot of problems on this yield curve. It has nothing to do with what these people are talking about. I've got the three year rate at, uh, at 2.54, okay? Um, no, make that the, the, uh, yeah, three year rate's at 2.54, and the five year goes to 2.49, and the seven year's 2.50, and the ten year's 2.41, and the twenty year pops up to two point six eight. So there, there's a little bit of a of a uh, a jumble here between three and ten. And I'm going to say, Russell, I just think the Fed's buying more of the ten. I don't. I don't. I mean, the point very possible. There's also uh, one of the funky things about the yield curve, especially when when the markets are a little bit less liquid than, than they normally are, when everybody's really kind of on edge. Is there's this gravitation toward, um, and it sounds so silly, but it really does happen. Uh, a gravitation toward right at the ten-year time frame or right at the five-year time frame, and you'll see funny kinks in the yield curve because there's a belief that that there's uh, a liquidity preference at those nice round numbers. Well, the, those that's are the ones that... econo- that's, that's actually an, uh, that's actually in e- academic literature. Okay, well. Um, well, that's that because those, those at, are the t- at times it really just has to do with whether you're one of those round numbers or not. Okay, so and the five with, is with the small difference that you're talking about. It, it's probably not worth reading into. Uh, the five is two point four nine, and the ten is two point four one. I'm going to say that my my, my 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 lab out there is the reason for that is those are the two that trade uh-huh. ten year trades and the five year trades. The seven and the three don't. So why uh-huh. you know? So but but I. I, I'm that's, still, I mean, that's it right there. There's a there's a liquidity. It's the liquidity preference theory. Um, so when you're looking at the curve that's so flat and it's got funny kinks at the, I'm just going to say multiples of five are the round numbers. Um, that that you know that you have weird kinks when you compare three and seven to five and ten. It's not something to read anything into. Okay, so I mean this thing really. My 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 question. I don't understand. 
why it's not I mean if you if you look at if the Fed was not involved, okay, which they clearly mm-hmm. are, how how does how does the the one year interest rate or two year interest rate not be eleven percent right now? It should be. And if, I would say that the that the thirty year, that mm-hmm. I'm going to say somewhere along the line, whether we got to throw this guy out and uh, you know get get Volker to uh, can we clone him or something, someplace somewhere, we're probably going to fix fix deal with this inflation issue. So I'm going to say that the thirty year inflation rate's not going to be the twelve percent I think it is right now. It's going to be eight. Or seven, or six, or five—hopefully less than that. But I, so right now, we should have a dramatically uh, inverted yield curve for all the reason, for economic reasons there are. Just, just in terms of why would I give somebody a hundred bucks, or the guy gives me the ninety worth at the end of the year? I mean, why would I do that? So, but but people are. So, I mean, this 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 curve should be dramatically. Uh, downward sloping, shouldn't it? Downward, you mean uh, inverted? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So well, it should be. I, 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 like I said, I'm, I've been teaching yield curve stuff the past couple of weeks, and yeah, it's very difficult. I, I, for a decade, I've been talking about inflation, and the students like tune out. And now, you know, I'm talking about inflation and the impact it's supposed to have on interest rates, and then I. You know, and then we look at the market, and it's not there. I said, "Well, that's the Fed artificially, um, you know, holding things in place for lack of a better way to put it." Um, you know, history always repeats itself, and when we keep having these discussions, I keep thinking about uh, Bank of England and George Soros. Yeah, that the Bank of England would continue to try to fight economic forces now, not as big as the U.S. economy, but. At some point, there's got to be some sort of tipping point. Um, you know, it, it, how how long can they maintain art, artificial rates? Well, what, at what point does reality kick in? Well, Russell, Russell, what is the and what's and the worst part is, um, uh, hopefully, it's not forty years from now when I'm gone. Uh, or hopefully, it is forty years from now when I'm gone, so I don't have to worry about it. But, but there's, there's, how long can they keep kicking the scan down? And uh, I mean, eventually, it's going to. It's going to be a pretty nasty outcome. That it's going to surprise a lot of people that aren't as close to the situation as you and I are. Why? Why or when are, are people? Because I went back. I should never have done this. I went back and I, I found a, a site. I might send it to you. Where they went through every year from seventy onward, which not only the Fed funds rate changes, but why they changed. It's it's fascinating to go back and read this history when you like I was in college and stuff, but. Uh, when, when I started on the trading floor, when I was getting more involved in this, I mean, obviously I didn't watch the markets every day when I was at Pullman, but obviously here I was, and you've done it the same way because you've, you've always worked for somebody, even now. I mean, part of your 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 job as professor is to stay current because you're going to get current questions, right? Uh, yes. Um, so the the idea, I'll go back to the say the Japanese central bank. All of a sudden, one day the the dollar is uh, the the M, the yen's getting pummeled. Okay, so for whatever reason, you know, there, there's a imbalance in trade or whatever, the, whatever it is, the, the the yen is going down in relation to the dollar, and the, and, the, and the Japanese government they're they're outraged, and they would say, well, hell, we, we've got dollar reserves, we'll we'll fix this, we'll mm-hmm. fix this market, 
and uh, we'll go out there and we'll buy yen. We'll, we'll get rid of some of our dollar reserves. So they buy yen at, I use the term at a hundred, and four hours later, guess what? It's ninety nine ninety, which doesn't seem like a lot to people, but in, in currency markets, that's like a lot. And they go, somebody somewhere is going to say, "Hey, you big dummy, you just made an awful trade." Now they would be clucking and say, "Well, no, I didn't really make a good trade. I I was supporting." You may be supporting, but you're losing dough, buddy. It's like saying I, I'm supporting IBM at one thirty, and two days later it's it's eighty. You know, okay, I guess you supported it, but you lost fifty bucks, you moron, right? Correct. When when you come right down, to, it's just basically a trade. Well, when when did we we somebody, the Fed, the government, maybe even foreign governments, when did they get the idea? Oh, it didn't work yesterday with with five billion dollars. Take twenty today. Take fifty tomorrow. Take a hundred the next day. See how see how big you are compared to my printing press, and basically jam it where the sun don't shine. Because that's what's happening right now. I, I, these guys will go to fifteen trillion on this balance sheet to prove a point. And there doesn't seem to be any 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 barrier that they won't run run across on policy. Where where in the seventies, it clearly was not the case. You, you didn't see the Fed say, "Oh yeah, try and trade against me." <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, the Fed wasn't in the business of bailing out the markets until, you know, what, maybe the 90s? Uh, they sort of were. They, 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 they were increasing the money supply. They, they didn't, they did kind of, well, they didn't really have to do a whole lot after the thing that happened in 87, but, um, you know, the, I think the fixation on the financial markets really started with, you know, Greenspan trying to pop the Internet bubble with a speech. Um, when you... I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a tad, Professor. I think that I, I think the feeling both of us have is they didn't fixate on the stock market, but they clearly fixated on the bond market. I mean, after after yeah, they always fi- and they fixated on the currencies as well. Yeah, because they they did. Yeah. After, I mean, after the Vietnam, when they got rid of Bretton Woods and they started uh, inflating the uh, economy a little bit to pay for the Vietnam War debt. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, and they, did, they didn't have as much cooperation from uh, the other central banks because the other central banks didn't care if we were in Vietnam, right? Uh, I, I think that they 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 purposely inflated the money supply to, to uh, get some of that debt in easier. So they they were very concerned about the bond markets. I don't think they were as concerned about the stock market. But the, the bond market yeah. is a lot bigger than the stock. Well, is it still? And it used to be a lot bigger in the stock market, right? Um, it, it, uh, globally, the fixed income market is much bigger than the equity market. Okay, that's something you I don't know if that's. It, I don't. I don't know if that's as much of a. Um, if, if the difference is is great in the United States because we're I, individual investors in the U.S. favor stocks over bonds. That's not necessarily true uh, in different parts of the world. Well, plus your the real big holders. Here are still all your insurance companies and everything, and they're in a lot of fixed yeah. income, right? Yeah. So, I mean, look at my. I actually encourage students that are all excited about the financial markets to pay more attention to the bond markets because, um, yeah, it's it, there's just as much opportunity job wise in that one as there is in the equity markets, and fewer people are actually interested in bonds, so you're competing with fewer people to try and get a job. Well, before uh, I, I was kind of. Pointing toward a, a, a question, of course, I never got to in my mm-hmm. usual circular manner. My question mm-hmm. is: there, there seemed to be somewhat of a limit 
at some point, be it the Japanese Central Bank, BRs, of how much... I think the instinct was always to try and influence the market like a little bit, Russell. Uh-huh. I, I mean, when when you've got a, a, a balance sheet of of nine trillion, and you think you got to spend fifty more billion to to, to to stop a sell off in the market three weeks ago, I don't think you hesitate. It's like it's like peeing in Lake Michigan in their mind. I mean, why yeah. would you, why would you say nine nine trillions as far as I can go? I can't go another penny. I mean, you're in, you're in for a penny. You're in for a pound at this point. It seems to me. Uh, here's a, so I, I, I did some number searching, and, and it gets even scarier. Uh, the global, and this is a couple of years old, but the global bond market size is $100 trillion. The global stock market is $70 trillion. But if the global bond market is $100 trillion and the Fed's balance sheet, let's just round up to ten. They're ten. They own ten percent of the bonds outstanding in the world. Uh, probably. Well, not. I'm sure they don't. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, don't uh, doesn't the European Central Bank own? I think you would want to tell me this. They own thirty, forty, fifty percent of some of the CRD numbers, don't they? I didn't tell you that, but I have heard that. Well, we're talking about every 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 bond, every warrant, every every stock. Has a as a CRD number that you get from the uh, SEC, correct? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> which means that there, if you were to say, um, uh, if you call PTI or any other place and you say, what's this, uh, you know, XYZ company has a ten year something something floating rate, blah blah blah. The first thing we would say is, I can't find it. Give me the CRD number and we can look it up, and it'll tell us exactly every every security. And bonds are considered has has a CRD number, correct? Now, mm-hmm. but, but you and I don't we don't have the statistics on this. But when the European Central Bank was was keeping interest rates below zero, I, I thought that a couple of them, like some of the some of the other countries, I thought that they were uh, other countries. They're still in the ECU. Um, I think I thought they were up to like seventy and eighty percent of some of the CRDs. Didn't didn't Japan own? Uh, well, that's I was yeah. when you said that automatically. I thought Japan because Japan did. They, I mean, their their central bank owns uh, a lot of the financial assets. I think they have, they're like the biggest holder of, of many of the ETFs over there. Right. Yeah. Uh, which, which means the stocks. Everything. Yeah. Which means the um, stocks. So they own the stocks too. Yeah. Yeah. And right. And and by yeah by um. By association, they're uh, the biggest investor in their own stock market as well. well I wonder when the Fed starts doing that. What makes you think they haven't? I don't. I didn't know I if they were allowed to. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think they they were either. But uh, you never know. You never know. They can they can own bond ETFs. Well, if they start, I guess we only have a oh. minute here before break. But the, yeah. I guess what I'm talking about is if they if they own all these bonds at two and three and four percent. And then they and they go to like six. What's their balance sheet? Is are they gonna are they gonna lower of cost the market on their balance sheet, or are they just gonna let it run off? They're never gonna tell you they actually lost money, are they? No, I, I assume they're gonna let them run off. I got that question in class yesterday, and I I said, well, my assumption is that that if the the question was well, what happens when they try to sell all of these? I said, well, the thing is, you have two choices with a bond. You can sell it or you can hold it to maturity. 
and I, my feeling is they're just going to hold them to that they're going to hold them to maturity. Well, the mortgage bonds that they bought five and ten years ago, I'm going to say that those bonds have all been refinanced and have had a tremendous runoff. But the ones they bought at three percent, if mortgage rates goes to six, as they used to say in the trading floor, they're wearing them. Nobody's going to refinance those. You hope for somebody to die, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. that's it. Hope for somebody to die. On that note, SP Futures down twenty two. The SP Futures down one on one. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Allen. She's Eliani on the board. SP Futures down 19 and a quarter. SP Futures down 94 and a quarter, which now we're approaching 40% of what we were up yesterday. But we've been up four days in a row, so... It seems like it's a big sell-off here, but sort of really isn't uh, compared to the last couple of days. Uh, Dow Futures down 150, 
Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 247. It's 1.7%. Again, these guys were way up yesterday. These guys got way too enthusiastic on this Ukrainian uh, talks, and uh, evidently they came out as a little bit of progress, but not not a real lot. It was, whether it's the Russians letting up on the capital or just repositioning, nobody seems to know. Uh, FTSE up three cents, unchanged. Uh, CAC around down 75, 1.1. Asia mixed bag, Nikkei down 225.8%. Shanghai, however, up 62, that's almost 2%. Hang Seng up 304, that's 1.4%. So, China up, Japan down. Uh, yesterday, Dow was up 238, S&P was up 56, NASDAQ up 264, which was 1.8%. Like I say, we're down 94 now, so, uh, 35, 40%. Uh, bonds, uh, unchanged at 2.40, we made it up to 2.5, and now we're down some here. Uh, ten-year rate. Uh, Bun uh, is positive three basis points to point six eight. Japan uh, minus a basis point to two point two three. Oil uh, bouncing back here. We we ducked under one hundred. Uh, we're Wednesday. It was either Monday morning or yesterday morning. We ducked under one hundred. We're back up to one hundred seven fifty three. With a three percent up move today. Went up three fourteen to one thirteen thirty seven. Natural gas up three cents five thirty eight. Our Bob up nine cents. Ouch. Uh, 329. We've got gold, 1390 back up in the mid 1900s at 1931.90. Silver up 40 cents, 25.14. Copper up two cents, 4.75. We've got crypto down 5.12, but still pretty high, 47,249. I say crypto, I mean Bitcoin. Eliana, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Oh, by the way, uh, about 455,000 new jobs were added in March. The ADP slightly more than uh, expected. So. Well, that's some good news. Yeah. Well, if you're one of those people, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. All right, guys, good morning. Currently 7.35 a.m. on March 30th. Let's start with sports. And the NBA Bulls beat the Wizards last night, 107-94. And you can look forward to the Suns playing Warriors tonight at 9 o'clock. And hockey, Coyotes will be playing the Sharks tonight at 9 o'clock. In Chicago, we have a gloomy day, or as I like to call it, sweater weather, currently sitting at 50 degrees, intermittent showers with a high of 60 and a low of 38. And Phoenix, partly cloudy, 55, with a high of 79 and a low of 55. Looking at traffic this morning, kind of a busy time on the roads this morning. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between Wolf Road, uh, all the way to downtown approaching the 290 and 94 construction intersect. We have traffic westbound on 290 between Laramie and 1st. Traffic northbound on 294 between Waveland and the 88 East Ramp. We have traffic on I-90 eastbound between the 90 East Ramp and Lawrence. Traffic westbound on I-90 between Lawrence and West Higgins. Traffic eastbound on 94 between Tui and Canalport. Traffic westbound on 94 between 130th and North El- Elston. Traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and South Damon. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 31st and East Grand. Traffic southbound Lakeshore between Chicago and East McFederidge. And finally, traffic northbound on 57 between West 119th and the 94 East Ramp. And that's all I have for you, Chief. Yeah, Russell, would you mind um, being the uh, like the Gillingham professor and being all things to all people? Um, I've been opining a little bit on my... Feeling on, on, the, on the labor force and how it's, it's, it's almost, to me, it's becoming, you'll know what this term means, it's almost becoming as inelastic as oil. You know, if there's a few people short, it really seems to be causing issues and same way with oil. I mean, if it's a little short, the price like doubles and if it's a little too much, it like goes in half, uh, in the short term. But have you, have you looked at these labor numbers over the last several months and over, over the whole pandemic situation? And then come up to any kind of conclusions. You're talking about the Great Resignation. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at the at the at the 
the, the, the raw numbers on from last month to, uh, at the end, well, I'm looking at, I guess the last, they, they drop off the monthly data, right? So I'm going to say mm-hmm. the, the last, uh, pre-COVID number that was here was December 31st, 2019. Obviously, if you had the February numbers, it'd probably be a little more accurate. February, after February, but it's only two months difference, probably the same. Um, mm-hmm. what I've uh, noticed here, it's pretty, it's actually pretty fascinating from the last, and I, but I'd like your comment on why, I don't think, is it just the party line that nobody can hire anybody, nobody can find anybody? They really mean they can't find somebody at the price at which they should, they think they should be finding somebody or whatever. But let me just review the numbers for everybody here, for you, just to keep you up to speed. It's interesting that if you look at, uh, 2019, uh, December, the total non-institutionalized uh, population, which means what? You're not in jail or a mental institution? Over the age of 16 was was 259 million, and now it's 263. All right, so we're up 4 million people in essentially three years, which is pretty much average, right? Uh, however, the, the people in the in the labor force are like exactly the same, 163.5. Okay, uh so of those, we've got 157 million 538 were working at the end of 2019, and now it's 157 million 722. So we're actually have 180 thousand more people working today than in December of 2019. So to, to say that nobody wants to work or, or or everybody's on the couch or whatever, I I don't know that that's accurate. The the amount of people unemployed and actually looking for work are Six million then, and now it's six point two now. So a couple hundred thousand there, no no biggie. The amount of the final column here is almost the, the almost the entire increase in population is found in this last column. I mean, we don't know what the bleep they're doing. Probably retired. Well, I mean, they're they're not they're not looking for a job and they're not working. They could be retired. They could be in school. All those kinds of things. They could just be, you know, whatever. Uh, they I guess they could be. Selling stuff on Etsy and nobody, you know, and not reporting any income. They could be doing that too, but basically, they're there. And I, I'm guessing that we probably have that many people in the last three years that probably have retired or almost, right? Uh, oh, so close, close to retirement and kind of maybe doing went ahead and said, yeah. well, why, you know, why do I want to try to get back up to speed at work um, when I've been home and kind of half-butting it for the past couple of years. Well, and, and some of yeah, it... And I think that, that's part of it, is uh, I, I know several people who, you know, are kind of within our age range that, you know, they, they've enjoyed the working from home, they've kind of liked all that kind of flexibility, and they've reached... I, I, there's, a, there's a guy across the hall from me who said, you know, I'm just... I'm... I'm any work that I do from this point on, and he's a little bit older than I am, but any work that I do from this point on, anything I make from this point on, is just uh, intergenerational wealth, which is basically money he's probably going to pass on to his kids. He goes, I'd rather go live my life than <laughs> do that. So I really, I think that's where the tipping point is. It's people, and honestly, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I would have I would have told you that I was going to work until I was seventy five or eighty. Um, my attitude about that has changed tremendously. Well, um, I'm, I'm targeting a much earlier retirement age now myself. 
And I think what has ha- what happened with the pandemic was a lot of us kind of reassessed, you know, what we like to do in life. You know, I I got to hang around the house for a couple of years with my kids. They're really kind of cool kids. Nice to get to know them. Well, and, they're, and my they're wife's kind of neat too. But you're assuming the kids <laughs> want to hang around. With, you're assuming they want to hang around with you. Oh, uh, you know what? When they want to, I got to make sure I'm there when they come wandering into my office to talk about. You know, whatever it is they want to talk about. Oh, I, I, I'm with you on that. I never had kids, yeah. but I feel and, the same and way. I'm not. I'm here. Yeah, well, you know, well, I'm in Indiana, and actually, they're on spring break without me this week. Well, I was. I said mm-hmm. uh, I had a dinner last night with somebody you might know, but I won't say the name. Um, and he's an attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been on the board on the CBO as well. Uh, and he, we were talking about how, you know, we 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 were redefining the term retirement. <laughs> All right, now mm-hmm. I'm still managing money for people, and I love it. And he's an attorney and does things with. His, he's got a huge family. Um, and and uh, but he was saying to me, all my friends. He went to Michigan, played football. He said all my friends that have quote retired, they've like turned into mush. I just said I don't I don't want to know yeah. what you're watching on Netflix the the day before and you're binge watching. I don't care about it. my 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 buddies that retired. Not all of them. These are all brilliant guys, attorneys, accountants, and stuff. I mean, they start trading emails about what what movie they should be watching on Netflix. I'm going. Oh, so we came to the conclusion that we we may in fact retire someday from what we're doing, but we better mm-hmm. find something else. I said we're going to go out and buy a pickup and we're going to start remodeling houses or something. Because the idea of getting up in the morning with nothing to do, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Oh God, no! That's de- and that's definitely not me. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I basically have two jobs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm too old for that crap. I mean, the idea—I uh, I know my some of my my mother's cousins in uh, Columbus were engineers, and while they they also had a massive uh, uh, interest in woodworking and do incredibly, you know, if, if one of these guys does a bookshelf for you, it's it's going to go in a, a mansion in Hyde Park, you know, type of thing. And uh, yeah, but they they are busier and happier. They're quote retired, but they're not retired. Retired. I mean, they're they're working harder than they ever did, but they love it. They just change to do something else. I mean, I, I can't imagine just getting up and say, "What am I going to do today?" There's, oh, I guess I'll throw the cartoons on, you know, for a while. I mean, I, I <laughs> anyway. But what 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 is by looking at these numbers, Russell? Uh, I'm trying to drive you back to this. Where I mean, by listening to the the talking heads. You would assume that there's 10 million people somewhere sitting someplace and not working compared to 2019, and it's just not true. It's either even or slightly above. Okay, now, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know that in some areas, I mean, take Chicago, for instance, you've had massive retirements in the police force because they don't want to, you know, wouldn't, duh. You've had retirements some places. You've had attorneys where they, they couldn't go to a, uh, you know, they got tired of going to Zoom meetings that are 70 years old and they go, screw this. And they, I mean, there's been a lot of retirements of people that probably, you know, are still certainly very functional. So somewhere of that 3 million people, let's say we could use a million of them back, right? Uh, but, yeah. but the numbers, the numbers are not that obvious where every single CEO is like, no matter how much I pay, no matter what I do and what trading I offer, I just can't find it. But the numbers, Tell me that that's not true, Russell. Or do you think it is? Oh, I, I, I think it's become. I, I, I never really thought about the the 
oil market analogy and in what you meant by that just to offer a little clarity for people who are like how does that relate it's a very very supply demand oriented type thing and if you get a small supply disruption it shows up in oil prices very quickly um, the labor market forever you know it, it would take away it, it kind of drifted in one direction or another but there weren't these sudden you know behavioral changes or mass behavioral changes that really had an impact on it and coming out of COVID it looks like for one reason or another um, we don't have as many people that are available to work or want to work or are qualified to work at jobs that need to be filled or are willing to work at the $15 an hour job um, or you know and because it, I mean we've had an increase in popu- of working age population as you said of 4 million people but the jobs have been flat. So there's a marginal difference that needs to be made up to maintain the same size of the economy relative to the working age population. And it's that small. It's, and it's probably just a few hundred thousand people. But that's, but all, that's all it takes. So that much, it's making that much of a difference. Well, I think it's in some ways, uh, you know, we, we think, and again, this is not, this is not casting a, a stone at anybody. Um, if, if you owned a restaurant and you were used to paying people 10 or 12 bucks an hour and for a period of a year and a half, you're essentially closed. Um, it's, and a lot of this is the Hispanic community, not all, but a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say a, a lot of, the, I mean, we're not talking about dumb people. I mean, a lot of those people have, have moved someplace where they're doing construction somewhere where they're making 30 bucks an hour and not 10. They're not, they're, they're not the arrogance to think that they were sitting on the sofa waiting for your phone call to come back at 10 bucks an hour again. I mean, why would you ever think that? I mean, those guys, they've got, they, okay, this construction works a lot harder than being a, a line chef, but I'll tell you what, 30 bucks is better than 12. You know, it's, yeah. a, I mean, it's, a, I mean, I, I think you've, you've, you've forced people into other areas. You've, you've, you've forced some movement to where, uh, you're, you're not going to give somebody a 20% raise and $10 to 12, even though it's 20%, it's only two bucks. Uh, you, you better be, you better be 15 or 18 or 20 to talk to somebody. I mean, and now, does that mean that the price of dinner goes up some or the price of the lease has to go down? I think, Russell, it's for what I am, you know, normally, I love the fact that you have a the PhD and I'm, I'm jealous of that to a certain amount, but, I am really jealous that you are a professor right now at a time when everything that all the economic stuff that I ever learned is is all happening right in front of your eyes. I mean, your oh your 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 days of uh, your, your your questions from your students and current events have to have to be make you feel like you're 25 again. For God's sake! Oh, it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely definitely energizing. Um, in fact, I do. I do office hours. It's like open discussion of anything anybody wants to talk about on Saturday mornings from 8 to noon. A couple of weeks ago, I had 90 students show up wow. on a Saturday morning to talk, to talk about what was going on in the world and how it related to class. And we went, and the, the, I answered the final question with three minutes to go before noon. Well, you know, I, I was not... Uh, it's, I, it's, I, I'm a... a Incredibly fortunate because uh, people that go to Kelly at the MBA level, there are a lot of smart people. 
I mean, I started out working here being very intimidated my first quarter or so. It took me, I was like, honestly intimidated by the level of student I was going to deal with here. So yeah, I'm really, really fortunate. And then I get to talk to people in all different areas as well, which is, I've got a lot of, I've got everything from lawyers to healthcare professionals in my classes right now. Well, you, so, you, you know, yeah, it's, uh, I hadn't really thought about that aspect of, uh, sticking around to be a professor for a long time, but it, it, it is great. And being able to truly relate what's going on in the real world to what's going on in class, um, that's great as well. I, I want to get back to the job thing real quick. Well, well, real quick. You, you might, we, let, me, let, me, let me follow up well, on what you just said, though, because okay. I, uh, I, I was in school, not obviously not a professor. Kind of, mm-hmm. I'll say that the, the last time this happened, well, you know, I'll be dumb there and say the last time I know it happened because I was in grad school in the mid-70s and the, the people who had just designed the CBOE and the people who were deregulating all these industries that was all happening when I was there and remember, remember the name Hans Stoll? Yeah! Um, I had two classes from him he was fantastic mm-hmm. he was in Chicago before he went to uh, did you go to Vandy? he went to Vandy but these are the guys that designed yeah. the CBOE I mean, and, and the open outcry system and the auction markets and, and all that stuff. These guys, they designed that. I mean, all in a, like a four-year period, they, they deregulated trucking, deregulated airlines, deregulated uh, railroads. They did all that stuff. I mean, talk about being, you know, those guys not only not only uh, taught class, but they, they, they educated people on what was actually they were doing outside of class, which being a consultant to the CBOE, for God's sake. It, it was... Mm-hmm. It was an amazing time to be in academia, and I got to believe that it's the same way now. And I, again, very jealous, and I'm happy to have you on on Wednesday to tell us all about it. All right, go ahead. All yours. Uh, well, one of the things with the job, one of the things with the job situation, is, mo- yeah, I don't know the exact breakdown, but I know in the Chicago area, um, a vast number of the jobs are downtown, and I know at the exact same time. And it's not just Chicago, it's New York and a lot of other big cities. Um, over the past couple of years, people have left. I don't, you know, I, if I never have to, this sounds so awful, but if I never have to go downtown in Chicago again in my life, I'm okay with it. Yeah, my life is still away. It's a ghost town or, you know, I've had uh, incidents where I've been hurt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, I don't feel safe down there like I used to. The term is um, mug. The term is mug. I don't feel the same way down here at all. Yeah, and a is, lot. I think a lot of people here. are moving away from big cities, and so there's this job disconnect where people are and where the jobs or where the jobs used to be. Well, that was very much like that um, when I started down here in the early '80s. And actually, oh, I, was, I know. When, when I was I first, uh, when I first moved to Chicago in the early '90s, it was just the tail end of it. Well, I went to like in in a matter of two years, it reverted right back to, you know, the uncomfortable part of living there. Well, I, when I was I was at uh, Pullman, out in uh, when I was in the Hammond plant, the PCW and the PCW one, the, the regular Pullman plant on 111th Street there. And my last year, because they they wanted to save me because the passenger plant was going out of business, and I was one of the good ones. They gave me a promotion downtown. God, did I hate it. I'm sitting in an office all day. You can imagine me me doing that. Um, but downtown, the they, we were on North Michigan, 200 North Michigan in the Borg Warner building, I think. Uh, when you got mm-hmm. off the Rock Island, there was the exchanges right here. So right here was sort of okay. 
but but Van Buren was basically Skid Row, and and you yeah. and you walked you essentially walked from the Rock Island to two hundred North Michigan every day, uh, so from the Rock Island station. So it was you know, it was a kick when we were young, so we weren't taking cabs or anything. But you know, on a rainy day. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you went out at, at, after work for Pullman, if you did once in a while, nobody did. Nobody stayed downtown. Um, yeah. the, the walk back to the Rock Island. I won't say it was it was it wasn't like now where there were people shooting at you or anything. There was just nobody there. It was you felt like you were it was it was a World War Two movie in Vienna where if you were walking down the street everybody saw you. I mean, and then, but if you you didn't walk down Van Buren to to get to the Rock Island station, I mean you had to sneak over to LaSalle where at least there was nobody instead of a bunch of weirdos out. But it, like I said, it wasn't as violent. But it, it was it was combination of dead zone and all the people here might not have been the only people that were. Quote normal at night, where the people going to Kent or uh, or those one of the law schools that would be going to a bar at ten o'clock and having a beer waiting for the eleven o'clock train. Other than that, mm-hmm. you I mean you had a bunch of people living in the the big in the, the upstairs hotels on Van Buren and that kind of stuff. It was a it was a bleep hole, and all of a sudden it got a yeah. lot better, a lot better, a lot better, and now we're going the other way again, which is unfortunate. But it was not fun. Yeah. No, I mean if you walk down LaSalle Street at ten o'clock at night in nineteen seventy seven. Or seventy nine, you were by yourself, or worse. Oh, even in the early nineties. Yeah. There, for the longest time, there was only one person that even lived inside the loop. Yeah, and, and then it all, was the uh, the minister of the Methodist Church. Yeah, in the, lived there. Once they got married, and, and you, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, yeah. then all of a sudden, it was, because State Street was a mall, right? Which meant that was empty. Uh-huh. There wasn't even a car down there. So I mean, and then, and then it got better, 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 and a few colleges came down here, and all of a sudden it became, well, the South Loop became so vibrant. I mean, all all the crummy little bars, all the all the uh, this, the places that you can still see at the Blues Brothers when the guys had, when the yeah. build, the building blew up, that was actually a tenement housing, and and Van Buren, if they blew up for the movie, they were going to blow up anyway, right? Because they were going to turn so, yeah, it out. It's uh, well, unfortunately, what my my kind of my point is that I don't know if the people are where the jobs are now. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm sure. Or where they traditionally were. Well, I, I got to believe a lot of people here that used to be working in restaurants are pounding nails in uh, in Florida and are happy for it. Oh yeah, they get to work outside too. Well, yeah, I'm not so sure uh, Florida. But, but, is no, I, th- I do think that the, the when you when you look at the little articles that pop up that talk about um, the cities that are losing people, and it's all the big cities, or at least all the big cities that are north of Mason Dixon line, they're cities in the south that are gaining people, cities in Texas that are gaining people, um, but there are still a lot of jobs, you know, with uh, a big bank or with the exchanges or whatever that they, um, you know, I, that they are having a difficult time feeling. I, I work with a couple of the New York exchanges, and um, I know that, I know of one that, that wanted to hire somebody that would come into the office there, and they finally gave up on that after three months, uh, not getting anybody that was willing to do it, and they ended up hiring somebody that's not even in a big city to fill that role, to work remotely, and then that's, go visit once a month. Would you, uh, and, real quick, I'm going to ask you and uh, Eliani both of this question. I I, mm-hmm. can, I cannot believe these numbers. The the numbers that came out, they said between, uh, who was Jilton? The June of 21, the July of 21, something like that. 120,000 people left Illinois and only and only five thousand moved in. How could yeah, we, I believe that? But how could? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, but whoa, 
and you, well, first of all, I, I know you're right, but I mean, we've got five or six high-end business schools here, five or six high-end law firms here. How does how does how do none of those graduates stay? I mean, I mean you know, if you're um, the enrollment at a couple at some of those schools is is falling off a cliff. I, I Most mean, of them, actually. I got to believe you still can't get in Northwestern University of Chicago law school. Well, that's not, you know, that, those aren't the schools I'm talking about. But I'm saying, uh, I, I understand where uh, you guys are coming from. But five thousand is real low. There, there had to be that many graduate. I mean, I, I mean if, if your kid went to to Stanford Law School, I'm going to say that you probably feel you've I won't say lost him, but the recruiting, if he's pretty good from that area to Stanford, has got to be dramatically. I mean, they're, they're going to be on him to say if he if he's a good student, hey, stay out here. Don't be going home to Chicago. I mean, how, how could none of these people stay? Five thousand is like nothing. Yeah, I know. I mean, for, why, I mean, for me why, personally, like, if, why would you want to move to Illinois? Yeah, for I, for what reason? Practically broke. The taxes absolutely suck. I, I, but I'm saying um, the it, big city is. I mean, I got. I got assaulted walking down the street at I, eight I, in the morning in Chicago for minding my own damn business a couple of years ago. Yeah, why? Why in the world would anybody in their right mind want to live there now? Well, I, I don't know, Eliana. I'll let you talk here in a second, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but if, Eliana, if you if you were in Georgia and somehow or another you got recruited to uh, University of Chicago, Northwestern Law, even even Loyola, DePaul, I mean, there's all kinds of them, and you come up here. You have to, in the back of your mind, say, "Wow, if I do pretty good at Northwestern University Chicago Law School, Winston and Strawn, Mayor Brown and Platt, those yeah, guys are, are going to want me." It's it's different though, because here's the thing: I grew up in Illinois, so I mean, I have an affinity for Chicago because I'm a Chicago girl. So, and like my life has has done well here, so I'm I'm very lucky. Like I'm very blessed as a Chicagoan to have the life that I have, especially as a musician. I'm doing quite well, you know, and I can also balance a legal career at the same time, and I have the freedom to do what I like. I'm very lucky, so I don't have the inclination to leave because I like my life, but if I wasn't born in Chicago and I had to deal with some of the stuff I've had to deal with living in the city for the past decade as an adult, I, I don't, who cares? I wouldn't, I would not be here. Right, I get it. Well, I have the affinities from when I was young. I'm just saying that if if you decide normally, I'm, I'm not I'm not disparaging anybody. I'm saying if I decided to go to NYU Law School or or uh, Fordham or someplace, I'm sort of making the decision to say, God, if I get the right the right uh, offer from some firm in New York, I'm, there's a chance I'm going to be a New Yorker. I mean, uh, well, then yeah, you come to school, yeah. but then you leave. You don't stay though. Like if I again, if I was if I didn't live here for as long as I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I would not live here if I didn't live here before. Does that make sense? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's what it comes down to. So, like, you know, I would go to, you know, whatever, John Marshall, DePaul, whatever law school here, which I've done. But, you know, I stay because my life, I, my, I have a good life. Like, I've made a good life for myself here, thankfully, with the, the, I have a lot of support. I have a lot of people who support me here professionally. Plus, plus, plus Stocks and Jacks. Plus, yeah, plus you guys. So, like, you yeah. know, I've, I've gotten, I've gotten quite lucky. You know, like, Stocks and Jacks is literally across the street from my office. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky. Things just, keep falling on my lap here in this city so i know that i'm not done you know with whatever plans or life i have here because things keep coming to me so i'm i'm very very lucky but if i didn't live here to start with i would not stay I, I don't maybe, maybe come maybe come to school and then get the hell out that's what i that's what i would have done 
Well, if my family said they're moving to Tennessee, I, I think I'd be a Tennessee resident pretty soon. <laughs> Just say, Russell, thank, Russell, thank you very much, buddy. Boy, I'd love to participate. If you if you were closer, boy, I'd, I'd show up for one of these Saturday morning things. I'd, I'd I'd dress. Can I dress up as a college student? That wouldn't work, would it? Yeah. Uh, you'd look like some of my students, so you'd fit right in. Oh, God, it doesn't say much for your students. SB Futures down 17. SB Futures down 86. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. A bottle of your best champagne and put it on my bill. Very well, sir. Captain, please. Oh, please, monsieur. It is a little game we play. They put it on the bill. I tear up the bill. It is very convenient.